The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. <laughs> This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samet. All right, so welcome to episode 70. Uh, Sam, you've been driving stuff and attending things, and so we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, so I, I guess we should probably start off, as we do, with what we're driving. So what have you been in? I spent the last week with the 2019 Acura RDX A-Spec, um, which is... Uh, yeah in many ways a, a return to form for the rdx <clears throat> so this is the the third generation rdx that's just launching now it's it's in production they're shipping them to dealers it's um, lovely i, lo- I love it, the, it the new look yeah i mean this is the first you know all new model that incorporates this precision design language that they debuted a couple years ago on the concept on the precision concept um and you know, I mean, they, they've adapted the the grill and some other, you know, little details uh, from that concept onto the rest of the lineup over the last year and a half on the, the update when they refreshed the TLX and the MDX and the RLX. Um, so, those, you know, those have all got, gotten updates with that with that grill. But um, this is the first all new model from the ground up that's, you know, incorporated that design language. And uh uh, over the weekend, I had a chance to uh, spend some time talking with John Akeda, who is the general manager of Acura uh, and a Honda uh, senior vice president. Uh, he was here in town with a bunch of other Honda and Acura people for the uh, Detroit Grand Prix. And uh, over dinner, we were, we were talking about Acura and kind of you know where where he sees the brand going. And he's been with with Honda and Acura since 1989. Um, he's interestingly, you know, um, as the the head of a division like Acura, he does not come from the engineering or product planning side. He's actually a designer. And you know, he, he was telling me this interesting story about when when he started with um, with Honda, um, he had he went to the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena and he had been uh, he had done some internships uh, during his uh, during his schooling at GM. And he had actually been planning to go to work at GM after graduation. And his final internship uh, was with Honda. 
and you know he went over and spent a couple months in Japan working with them, and he, he really liked it. But you know he he really felt you know that he he was going go to go go to GM, and um, his manager at Honda you know really wanted him to come to work there, and um, you know can to the final stage in trying to convince him to stay with Honda was taking him to the Japanese Grand Prix uh, at Suzuka. Uh, when and this is you know this is 1989. This is when Honda and McLaren were at their prime in Formula One. Um, Ayrton Senna was still driving for Honda. Uh, they were back to the um, the naturally aspirated engines. They had the the Honda V10 uh, in the in the back of the McLarens, and Ikeda went to this race and he just he fell in love and he joined Honda and never turned back. So he's, he's been with the company, you know, for almost 30 years now. Um, and anyway, all, all that, you know, uh, you know, he, he was involved in the, the launch of the Acura or, you know, early, early years of the Acura brand, not, uh, not quite the launch. It, all, it was already going uh, for a couple of years by the time he joined. But, uh, you know, that, this was kind of the heyday of Acura as well in the early 90s when they had the Integra Type R and, and the uh, original Legend Coupe and, and some of the other cars they had at that time. And, uh, um, you know, so I asked him, you know, it's like, where do you see Acura going? I mean, what's what? What's Acura's purpose? Because I mean, you and I have talked about this in the past that you know Acura's kind of you know didn't seem to really have a mission of its own, and he summed it up basically by saying, you know, we see we 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 now we now see Acura as the performance division of Honda Motor Company, and we're going you know we're taking Acura back to its roots, and we really want to focus on performance, you know, premium, but but performance um, more so than the rest of the mainstream Honda lineup, um, which is interesting. You know, when you, when you look at this RDX, you know, the, when the original RDX came out, you know, um, what, 10, 11, 11 or 12 years ago, uh, you know, it was a derivative of the CRV, but it was a more performance oriented model. It was the first, one of the first, uh, uh, Acura is to have the super handling right. all wheel drive system, which is their torque vectoring all wheel drive. It was a drive. turbo too. It was on. Um, it was, it was a tur- it was a turbo four cylinder, a two point three liter turbo four cylinder, and and the first time I drove one uh, was actually at a racetrack. Um, you know, it, back uh, in two thousand eight, Acura did this event at one of the local club racing tracks here in Michigan and Waterford Hills, and they had the whole lineup there, and we got to drive all the different Acura models of of the time. Uh, at on this track, and it was so much fun to drive on the track because of the you know the the handling the the all wheel drive system because you know this was one of the first torque vectoring all wheel drive systems. So for those that, that don't know what torque vectoring is, it's the idea that um, you know, had electronically controlled clutches in the in the rear axle that um, could redirect torque to one side or the other so that to help the car to help the vehicle turn in. Um, and give more precise handling. So, you know, if you were if you're um, turning in, you know, and the system detected the car was starting to understeer, it would direct more torque to the outside rear wheel. Which, you know, if you if you did a force diagram on the vehicle, you would see that actually it's going to tend to push it around and help the help the vehicle turn in, even if the front wheels, you know, the steer the steering wheels are are getting overwhelmed, and. 
when they when they went to the second generation RDX, they kind of lost some of that performance edge on it. You know, they went from the Turbo Four to, you know, the the three point five liter V six, which is a nice engine, but it's you know it's not the same. You know, it, it didn't have the torque vectoring anymore, um, and you know it was it was fine, but it wasn't. It didn't yeah, have. Yeah, but that so I always thought that they it. made those moves because they wanted to sell more, and so they made it actually less overtly sporty and and somewhat more bland mm-hmm. and i i never went back and looked at the sales figures to see whether that was successful or not to make it sell better no so not now they're back to sport yeah i mean everybody you know everybody just looked at it and said yeah okay <laughs> fine you know what's what's what are you doing that's different from lexus or you know or infinity well, they're, they're or doing anybody it the else way, which and, is the honda way which is an actual thing like there is the honda way yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not that there was anything fundamentally wrong with it. It just wasn't it it, it lost that edge. It wasn't as much fun as the original one. And so with this one, they in in some respects they've gone back to the, you know, the origins of the RDX and you know, you've got the latest generation of, you know, the, the Which super is, handling is all-wheel drive. Which is because it it doesn't um, just vector the torque, it overdrives that rear axle. Um yeah, and and it also it also vectors uh, front to rear yeah. as well as side to side. So you know it's it's a it's a pretty sophisticated system, and you know they're back to a turbo four cylinder. Now it's now a two liter, and it's it's basically the engine from the Civic Type R, um, but uh, it's a you know it's only two hundred seventy five horsepower versus the three hundred six in the Civic. Yeah, you'll never miss it's it. Still plenty. You'll never miss in this that, vehicle. that extra little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's got that, you know, a little bit of that snarling sound of the Type R. Uh, you know, it's a little little more subdued than the Type R, you know, I mean, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, you still have that sound in there. It sounds really good. You know, it's, it's you know, got strong low-end torque, um, it, you know, because it is a premium model in the, in the U S market, of course, it only, ha- it only comes with an automatic transmission, but it's, it's Honda's new 10 speed automatic, which is a, a pretty nice gearbox. Um, you know, th- it's got paddle shifters as standard equipment, you know, it snaps off shifts pretty quickly. Um, and one of you know, the, the Honda or Acura did a lot of interesting details with this car or with this utility, this crossover, um, you know, in designing this thing. So, for example, you know, like a lot of cars, you know, you've you've got selectable drive modes. You've got, you know, comfort and and normal and sport and sport plus. But on most cars or most vehicles, when when you have those drive modes and you start the vehicle, it usually starts off either in normal or comfort. The RDX on across the board on all the all the all wheel drive, actually, even the front wheel drive ones. They all start off in um, in sport mode by default, and then you can you can also switch it to sport plus, which tightens up the dampers and and the steering and stuff. But it, is de- that it defaults only the to sport A-spec, mode, or is that um... no? That's all of them. That's and across it, so the board on all RDXs. Is that something that you can set the default mode to, and and that's how it was set, or is it just like no, no, no? That's built in. No, that's huh. that's the way it that's comes cool. from the factory. So uh, coming off the off the assembly line, every RDX defaults to sport mode when you start the engine. And then if you want normal or comfort That's mode, you have to switch be. it to that. See, they're, they're like a they're a driver's exactly. brand. That's... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like 
you know, like most uh, Hondas and Acuras, you know, it's got excellent seats in it. The seats are really comfortable and supportive. Um, nice thick rim steering wheel. Um, the, uh, you know, and all the RDXs come standard with uh, panoramic sunroof, which, you know, if you like that, that's, you know, that's great. You don't have to pay extra for it. Um, but there's also some other interesting little details, you know, that, you know, kind of add to the premium feel of this thing. Um, like, for example, you know, if you have the, the air conditioning on and the fans are going and if you press the voice button on the steering wheel to you know, do a voice command, as soon as you press the voice button, it automatically slows down the fan speed. So it duck, yeah, you know, so, ducks the fan noise so it yeah, can better recognize that, you. And I love it when that's when automakers do that they're not the only one that does it i forget off the top of my head yeah this this is the first one and i've some noticed of them do too, maybe it's not just with um, the voice command button but it's with like when you uh are using the phone it'll it'll drop the fan speed down so yeah, yeah. And that's that's like a nice feature that's the things right. we can do now with serial communication yeah but it's but it's it's it, it's little it's little details like that that you know make you think you know when when you drive it you realize hey you know these these guys you know thought of all those it's like details, they actually tried to use the cool. thing um, <laughs> yeah you know another another you know de- you know it's a, it's a little detail but uh, i found it actually very useful you know the, the uh the a-spec has heated and cold seats in the front and you know most of the time you know with the the seat heaters or coolers you have to you know manually um you know trigger those you know if you if it's a hot day and you want to you want to have that ventilation in the seats you have to press the button to, to do that and set the you know the, the speed that you want um there on the rdx there's actually an auto button for that so if you press the if you have the auto button pressed um based on the ambient temperature it will automatically turn on the the seat coolers or the heaters if it's cold out you know and you know we've talked before about uh chrysler on chrysler vehicles um you know for the heated seats and steering wheel uh when the temperature drops below 40 degrees it automatically turns those on uh which is nice but they don't have uh cooled seats as well and you know acura is doing that you know with with uh, both the heating and the cooling in addition to the 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 normal climate control system so again just a nice little detail you know, it's, you know it's not a big thing but it's it's one of those thoughtful things that makes makes you you know that would i think you know make you be more willing to spend extra you know for an rdx versus a crv um and um you know driving this thing you know it was really fun to drive you know i I got to drive it briefly uh the week before at the mama spring rally in, in wisconsin uh, but this, you know, this was the first time that I got to spend an extended period of time with it. And it was also the first time I got to spend, uh, an extended time with, um, with their new interface system for their, their infotainment, which is this, um, absolute, um, position touchpad. Uh, so, you know, uh, rather than have a, a rotary control knob, like, you know, a lot of other premium brands have, and rather than have, you know, the sort of relative touchpad that, that Lexus uses, which is more like what you have on your computer, um, you know, with, with a relative touchpad, you know, the, you'll, the, your cursor will be on the screen somewhere. Never where and, you need it. <laughs> uh, regardless of exactly. But regardless of where you touch the touchpad, the cursor will move from whatever point it's at. So if the cursor is in the middle of your screen and you touch the touchpad in the uh, upper right-hand corner, and then, you know, if you 
try to sweep to the right, you know, to the edge, you know, you'll, you'll only have a little bit of space to move it. Or, you know, if you swipe to the left, it'll move left, but it'll still stay in the center of the screen unless you move up or down. Um, with this absolute touchpad, basically every point on the touchpad mirrors the, the same positions, the corresponding positions on the touch screen. So if you touch the upper right corner of the touchpad, the whatever's in the upper right of the screen. So it's not a touch screen. It's just a, a standard display. If you touch the upper right corner of the touchpad, it highlights whatever's in that, the upper right corner of the screen. Similarly, you know, top left, bottom left, you know, middle, wherever. So, you know, it gives you, um, you, you, once you get used to it, you know, because it is a little different from using a normal touchpad, but once you get used to it, it, it's actually quite intuitive and I think it works really well. Um, you know, there's no haptic feedback. There, there's a click, a mechanical click, you know, um, to, to actually trigger a control. So you put your finger on the touchpad and it highlights wherever you're touching and then just press down, you know, to, to select that. And the, the system works well. It was, it was good. One, one downside uh, because of this new control interface at launch, the RDX has support for Apple CarPlay, but it does not yet have support for Android Auto because the Android Auto software from Google uh, doesn't have drivers you know, that, that, can, that support this kind of control interface yet. Their uh, actor is working on that with, uh, with Google and they hope to have that out sometime in the next few months, and it'll be available as a yeah, software. Yeah, and update. because it's Android, uh, it'll propagate out quietly and and effectively get out to all the devices um, soon once it's released. Versus something like Apple. Well, that's something. It'll actually. It, it won't. It won't go to the right, phone. It's not something that'll go, go to your phone. It'll power. go to um, dire- so that, directly to the vehicle. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's a driver. So that it's, in, may actually it's in the head unit. Require a trip to the dealer. Uh, no, uh, it should be available as an OTA update. Yeah. Most, most, most manufacturers, um, do OTA updates for infotainment systems now, just not for safety critical systems. My, uh, my grand Cherokee keeps prompting me to update the maps. I think it's got 2012 maps in it. (laughs) Um, which is fine. Like it, it, that does not do OTA updates. I have to go get the USB, you know, part number. (laughs) And and given given Jeep's history so far, that's probably a good thing for you anyway. <laughs> it's like that system's been fine. It's they're they're getting better. They're they're getting better. I mean, they they did have a few months back, I guess, or late last year, they did have an issue with an OTA update um, to some Jeeps that ended up bricking the head unit, and they they had to go back to the dealer to get get uh, uh, reflashed. But uh, uh, I think I think they've got yeah. I mean, out now. it's like it's funny to talk about that kind of stuff but like those things happen you know like as long as they have a way to sort of recover like yeah okay it sucks that your head unit is dead but we can we can wake it back up i guess it's not such a big deal it does suck because they're putting a lot of uh extra features in there like secondary systems not just infotainment so it is like in a Mm -hmm. in a in a Jeep or even, you know, the, the Acura, I'm sure there's like, you you can't control the climate control if the thing is dead. So that might be sort of an issue. Uh, well, the, the act, well, uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the Acura does have physical okay. controls for the climate control. Uh, it's not, it's not, but in it the, used in to be. So display. that's what I thought about. <laughs> um, but, but depend, de- depend, you know, I mean, the, you know, it behind, you know, 
behind the scenes, it may be using some of the same uh, ECUs. So it, it's possible. I, I, I can't say for certain, but it, it's it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, if you brick the infotainment system, oh, that yeah, it might that makes also sense kill too, the climate because control. The, the buttons are probably just encoders. Yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're just electronic switches. Um, yeah, I mean, then that. Yeah. We're way down the rabbit hole. So the so, R, the RDX. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I really I really like the RDX A spec. Um, it was a lot of fun to drive. Uh, you know, and you know it's it's fairly roomy for you know a compact to midsize crossover. Uh, plenty of room in the back seat. Plenty of cargo room. Um, and you know in the back below the the cargo floor. You know if you lift up the cargo floor, there's actually three separate bins in there, you know, where you can stash stuff, um, you know, and they're fa fairly deep. Two of them are fairly deep, you know, so you can stash stuff out of sight back there, um, you know, or, you know, if you go to the beach, things like that, you know, they're, they're, they're plastic, uh, you know, so you can throw wet stuff in there, you know, and not worry about all your other stuff getting damp. Um, so it's, it's a great vehicle and, you know, starts about 37,000, uh, the A-Spec, um, ran, uh, 45, uh, or sorry, that start the front wheel drive RDX starts at thirty eight uh, three. The A spec was forty five uh, forty five five uh, forty six five, and then the uh, top trim with the advanced package uh, takes it up to forty eight. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it's great vehicle. I, and see, I, I liked think it a lot. With the advanced package too, there's really not much else, if anything, to add, um, op like options wise. Um, yeah, I mean, even even the A spec, you know, had all the driver assist stuff. You know, it had adaptive cruise control and uh, lane keeping assist and and all that stuff. Um, so that yeah, I can't remember exactly what they add in the advanced package, but it's it's not a whole lot. This is the thing that gets me about Acura's pricing and and why uh, I have been somewhat enthusiastic about the brand over the last year and a half or two after we pondered what it's meaning is, you know, they've gotten their styling together. You know, I think it, it was, they were in the woods for a little while, <laughs> but they've, mm -hmm. they've really started to emerge with the, the new look. I think it's, it's really distinctive and, um, it's classy too. You know, it, it's going to hold up well because it, it just, it looks good and it, it also looks distinctive. So it, it's not, you know, overly, uh, sort of, uh, gimmicky. Um, the, you know, right. the, the cars themselves, like we, they're Hondas, you know, they're, <laughs> they're good out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're yeah. generally going to be um, pretty bulletproof. They handle really well. They ride really well. The, the, um, the TLX a spec, I was really astounded at just how intuitively it, it just, it, it, it did that sort of man machine thing, you know, and, and I'm sure that the, the RDX mm -hmm. to a certain degree, does some of that too. It may be a little bit blunted because it's a crossover or, or it may not be. Um, I haven't driven it. I, I will soon. Um, but their, their pricing is it's, it's a really tight window of pricing. And when you get that top trim, uh, model, like the a spec with all the packages, it's really not that expensive for, for what it is, especially when you compare it. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, and it's, and it's segment, you know, among premium utilities, I mean, if you compare it to, you know, a BMW X3 or, or a Mercedes GLC, you know, it's, it's, you know, even a loaded RDX is going to be quite a bit uh, more affordable. And I think, right. Uh, and that's generally the other more thing fun I was to drive. Say is like, 
I would rather have the Acura at this point. You know, BMW and Mercedes, like, they're they're doing very well, <laughs> but they're building cars that are less engaging than they yeah. used to be. So, right. And I think, you know, based on what I heard from from John Akeda, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the not too distant future we see, you know, a replacement for the ILX, which is based on the previous generation Civic that, you know, it kind of is a, more of a throwback to the old Integra days. And if they do that, I think, you know, they'll they'll really revive the they fan will base at least for the Acura brand. Um, I yeah, I, I can see. Can you imagine a new Integra type oh, R with, with this engine in it? I I think that you're going to have to imagine yeah. a uh, together with that a a new HRV based <laughs> crossover with that engine. In it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm mean, sure it, that's it, probably it's, coming. It's funny in a way, but you know. Well, they're they're, they're, def- yeah, they're they definitely doing to. a smaller crossover. They, um, yeah, and you know, to if they put something like that in there. I think that yeah, could I don't, be, I don't uh, see a, a real an issue with it. Um, I, I, I like Acura's. I really, yeah. I'm excited to try the, the RDX. Um, yeah, you, you uh, get, I get one next week, right? Very soon. Um, yeah. I had a really, and then, and then you've got some, you've got some other stuff to, to, that will run when you, yeah, when you've had I had a, a really to cool, uh, very geeky conversation, uh, with the Acura folks about the RDX. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll put that together uh once i get my hands on the car so uh there's that but they're bringing it up here to to boston to show it off to all of us uh auto writers so we can get our greasy fingerprints all over it uh, <laughs> so yeah hey at least they won't be on the screen so the screen will yeah, stay clean well, and that's like that's that. that's good i always sort of struggle with that when i'm taking pictures of the interiors it's like there's so many little marks on the screen um speaking of which uh, we'll yeah. stay in crossover land. Uh, but this week I just stepped out of a uh, 2018 Mazda CX-5. And uh, is another sort of crossover that's just great uh, and and priced really well. And it's a Mazda, but it, it feels really luxurious and nice and premium. Um, I'm very impressed with the changes they've made because they updated the style. I forget what the look is called. Is it? It's not Kodo, is it? Still, the is okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's still it the Kodo looks design really language. Sharp now. The older CX-5 didn't look bad, but the new one looks sleeker and prettier. Um, and uh, the interior materials were all very nice. Uh, and they the, again, they it felt premium. I was shocked that it's it's like that in a in a Mazda. Um, and it was the, the most surprising thing was how quiet it was because Mazdas have this reputation for being loud. Uh, not this CX five was very, very sort of well-behaved. Um, you know, it's, this is an impressive crossover and it rides and handles really, really well. It's very enjoyable to drive. If you like to drive, um, I think where it, it has the issue is it's charmed the socks off of all of the car writers. You know, everybody who who does like to drive and who evaluates these things, uh, we all gush about it. I think the problem is that uh, out there in the wild, in the marketplace, um, it's a little tighter than some of the competition. Uh, and so you, you like you give up 
some <coughs> some utility. And uh, you know, it's it's a Mazda, so it's a smaller brand, so it's a little harder to find to begin with. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, oh, it, it totally it's is. Worth it. And uh, the the new two point five liter. Well, it's I guess it's not new, but uh, it's it's revised. Um, they added cylinder deactivation to it. Uh, yeah, it can it can shut down uh, two of the four cylinders when I had uh, no when they're not idea needed. that that was a thing that it was doing. <laughs> it's seamless. Like usually, even on the V8s, the big V8s uh, with cylinder deactivation, you you can notice the the changeover point. It's usually very smooth, but you can t- detect the change in engine note and and you know whatever. I had no clue until I read the press release <laughs> that that's a thing that it does. I had no clue that it did that. So I, that's impressive. That's really impressive. Um, and it's a two and a half liter engine, which feels more like a two liter in terms of just, you know, smoothness and, and uh, being well behaved and kind of power, <laughs> which makes me feel bad for saying. Yeah, I mean the the two five, you know, it's a very efficient engine. It's it's not especially powerful. Uh, you know, I think it's yeah, only 187 like horsepower, 186 pound feet of torque. But I mean, yeah, those are not terrible numbers. It's fine, and it it's it's geared well. It's matched with a um, a six speed automatic, and it it feels lively enough, but it, it runs out of breath, and that's. Yeah, I mean the what what Mazda needs to do now, and and I. I'm fairly confident that they'll probably do it, you know, when they do the mid-cycle refresh on the CX-5 um, is add the 2.5 liter turbo that they just added to the six, the, the mid-size sedan uh, for this year. And, you know, I, I drove the, the Mazda six turbo at road America and it was, that's a fantastic engine, you know, 250 horsepower and 310 oh, foot wow. pounds of torque. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think if you, if you drop that in the CX five, you'd, you'd be talking some serious yeah. fun. Yeah. They, they have really, the last five I drove, it was a few years ago now. Um, but it, it didn't, it didn't impress me like this. It was, it was nice. It was fun, but it, it wasn't anywhere near as, as premium as this one felt. So that, I guess that's what I'm stuck on. It's just like they Mazda is trying to define its own niche i think within the marketplace as as a smaller automaker uh because the standard features you know are stuff that's that's optional on on other you know crossovers of of this this ilk you know it's got you know the blind spot monitoring and and the rear cross traffic is standard um 19 inch alloys uh it had the uh uh led headlights which i don't know if those are standard but um uh, no, I don't. You know, I don't think they are. Um, I think it also has. Uh, yeah. Wh- yeah. Which one did you have? The Grand Touring. I think it had the G vectoring. The- whatever. Like, I think that's its own kind of little torque vectoring stuff too, right? The G vectoring is that brake based? Um, no, it's 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 actually yeah, it's it's not actually um, torque vectoring. Uh, it's doing it's doing torque control on the engine, oh, okay. if I recall correctly. I have to go back and look it up. Uh, when I when I wrote about it before, um, Jacob Brown from Mazda contacted <laughs> me to correct me on on my description of it. Um, 
But go go ahead and um, keep talking. I'll find it. Yeah, and then you know the grand touring just adds more more stuff. You know uh, the the um, moon roof and um, you know just it had leather seats and it was just a nice vehicle and it, it came in around thirty four thousand dollars, which it's that's not an insignificant amount of money, but um, for something that felt like to me. Mazdas now remind me of 80s and 90s BMWs in the best of ways. Uh, you know, their design is restrained and handsome and crisp and clean and all of those things. They have unique personality. They are pleasant to drive. And uh, all of all of those high points are, are present in the, the CX-5. Um, and <laughs> speaking of the BMW thing, they ha- it has that little controller knob for the the infotainment system which is it's a nice touch uh their system is a little bit kind of pokey to to respond it's um it takes it a little while on some things and it does that sort of like uh boot up slowness where it, it initially it takes it a little while to start responding to anything and then once you're underway it's usually okay yeah, it, it it is a little slow to boot up. So okay, I found I found uh, the G vectoring. So what G vectoring uh, is uh, is it 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 um, it actually does uh, some quick adjustments to the engine torque um, through the fuel and spark, um, so it can uh, slightly reduce engine torque. You know, not so much that you'd actually notice it, but just enough to basically uh, make an adjustment to the weight transfer. So it shifts a little weight onto the front wheels to help them okay. dig in better, essentially. Um, you know, so you get a little more normal force, vertical force on the front tires. They will, you'll get a little more grip there. And so that's that like helps basically it turn when in. it notices there's uh, a steering angle change, it, it, it will initiate that sort of like pop off the throttle kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tied in. I think it's tied into the stability control. You know, so it's it's looking, you know, for more than just uh, the steering angle. You know, it's it's looking for, you know, it's looking it's using the inertial sensors, um, you know, the, your accelerometers to detect basically to try and detect if the if it if it thinks the, the vehicle is starting to understeer, then it can it can do that. And it's basically like automatic trail yeah. braking. Um, you know, so same, same thing It's doing the same thing you would do if you're trailing the brakes into a corner. So it's going to give you, uh, you know, scrub off just a little bit of speed, but it, um, it gets you enough weight transfer to load up the front tires. So you get a little more Which grip incidentally going into the, the best corner. Way to corner, a very heavy crown Victoria. <laughs> you set yourself up and then <laughs> absolutely hit the brakes real hard. So you get the weight transfer and then you turn the wheel <laughs> and then you mash the pedal to the floor. <laughs> It's not exactly trail breaking, but it's kind of, yeah. Um, but that, well, it's more, it's a, more it's deliberate a, driving a technique. I think they use it in um, EVOC for uh, teaching police officers is to, you know, to initiate that mm-hmm. turn, you, you have to have traction on your steering tires. So you, you hit the brakes to transfer the weight and right. the turn and then accelerate out of the turn. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you got a vehicle like that, that's got all kinds of pieces moving around, 
you know, you, you don't want to get too yeah. many things excited at once. So, you know, you kind of have to do it in a sequence. At once. That's, <laughs> and that's the, always been the sort of practice, the, the discipline I try to practice regardless is you, you only ask one thing of your tires at a time, if you know, as much as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I, whatever they do, though, with the CX-5, it, it's lovely to drive. Um, I, I really, really, yeah. really like it. It's it's a vehicle that has matured um, quite a bit. My only concern with it is it is just not going to resonate with, you know, buyers who mindlessly buy stuff like the RAV4 because they want, you know, a white one instead of a blue one and they want the monthly payment and they don't really care. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, you know, I, you know, whenever anyone asks me, you know, about what they should buy. I, I, you know, my, one of my default answers is, you know, if, if there's a a relevant Mazda that fits into what they're looking for, you know, is one of the Mazdas. Um, and you know, particularly, you know, if they're looking at a, a, a compact crossover, uh, you know, mainstream compact crossover, you know, the CX five is, is a great choice. You know, it's got great driving dynamics. It looks good. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got a really nice interior. It's a great yeah. place to spend so the, time. The phrase that they're using, I think across all of, of Mazda vehicles now is uh, what Jimba Ete. There's, there's, I, I probably murdered the um, pronunciation because I don't speak Japanese, but it's basically the concept, the horse and the rider are one. Um, and, and, and so like mm-hmm. all of that mumbo jumbo there, that stuff that you write off as mumbo jumbo for, for like selling cars and introducing new models. Like it, it really seems to ring true. Um, with the CX-5. And I even my, you know, initial sort of thought like, oh, okay, so it's going to have that that it factor for a driver, but you're going to give up something. It's going to be tight uh, in terms of the back seat. It wasn't really that bad. I think it was absolutely competitive. Um, and even the cargo area, again, absolutely competitive for its class. Uh, probably not the smallest, probably not the biggest, you know, right, r- right in there. So, if you choose it, it's it's livable. I you know I, I put the bikes in it and we we uh, went off. Uh, me and my my ten year old we went off and rode for a while with it and uh, that was fine. You know the the sixty forty seat worked and we had a couple of bikes inside and have to figure out how to put a roof rack on it or anything like that. So you know in terms of a vehicle that fits a lifestyle, which is certainly what a crossover is, yeah, it, it does really well and it it has some unique stuff that you're not going to, you're not going to find uh, anywhere else. You know, even just the, the whole sky active uh, philosophy, um, you know, it, it drives differently right. than any other vehicle in the class in in a good way. So um, no, they didn't pay us. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really been an impressive update and it's moved to sort of my my the top of my suggestion list uh just because it is so pleasant to drive it's so pleasant to be in and i think it's it's priced really well for what it is and it it has racked up a bunch of awards too so um yay for mazda (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's move on uh let's see we uh, we mentioned OTA updates. Uh, Tesla did an OTA break update. I wrote a story about it, and that's all we're going to say. I'll throw a link in the show notes, but we don't need to talk about Tesla anymore okay. this week. I, I have I have one question. 
And it's not, it's not really Tesla. Yeah. But it's, um, do you think if another automaker were to, uh, release a similar kind of OTA update for their braking system, they, they would, be, they would have been crucified well, that, by um, everybody. It seems it's reckless in my opinion. It's, it's just like doubly reckless, right? Yes. Like releasing it without, absolutely. you know, the best braking performance you can have is reckless. And then it's also doubly reckless to just update it OTA. But, um, I, you know, I think if you, if GM were to do this with say like the Camaro, put new brake software in there, um, they could probably also improve performance by a similarly impressive margin. Right. Or like they're they, no, really probably not. Cause no, because I, you know, I, I think, you know, if you if you're able to get, you know, nearly 20 feet of stopping distance from 60 miles an hour um, with just a software update to the ABS software, you had something fundamentally wrong in there to begin with. Um, so, you know, I, I think I don't you know, I've never seen another manufacturer, you know, uh, put, you know, put out you know, something, you know, that performs that poorly to begin with, or, or actually more, more importantly, performs that inconsistently, right. uh, from in braking. And that's, that's, that, that was the real problem with these cars is that the braking performance was very inconsistent and, you know, they would sometimes get, you know, competitive stopping distances and other times it would be much longer, but you can read the yeah, article. No, about I didn't that want, I don't want to send us down the really hole. I just thought that, that anymore tonight. You know, if everybody did it, it'd probably yeah. be equally impressive. Cause I heard that it was an impressive thing. Well, it, it, it would be impressive, um, you know, to the degree that you got that improvement, but you know, then, you know, then everybody would start looking at the same thing that I highlighted here, which is, well, why was it so bad in the first place? Why did you ever release yeah. it that way in the first place? Okay. And so that's the, the fundamental problem. All right. Yeah. Um, so also what, uh, you know, since we last uh, recorded, uh, you know, um, SoftBank and GM, uh, made a big announcement about, uh, autonomous vehicle plans. Um, SoftBank is, you know, this Japanese investment company run by Masayoshi San um, that, you know, over the last 20 years has invested in all kinds of different technology stuff. Um, you know, they they had a big stake in Yahoo Japan and they've, they've been involved in all kinds of different companies over the last couple of decades. Um, right now they have this. Uh, was it a 10? No, 100, 100 billion dollar investment fund that they have assembled um, that is focused on um, mobility businesses, you know, and that they, it's called the, uh, the SoftBank vision fund. And this is, you know, earlier this year, uh, the, the vision fund is what made, you know, an $11 billion investment in uh, Uber. You know, they, they bought up, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, $10 billion worth of shares from uh, previous investors and then also invested an additional $1 billion in the company. Um, and uh, and now this new deal, they are investing up to $2.25 billion in uh, cruise auto, or GM Cruise LLC, which is the, the GM subsidiary that was created uh, following the uh, GM's acquisition of Cruise Automation a couple of years ago. So Cruise is the San Francisco company that is developing the production um, automated driving software for GM. And, um, you know, 
SoftBank, you know, the Vision Fund, in addition to stakes in uh, Uber, they also own stakes in Didi Shusing, a Chinese ride-hailing company, um, Ola, uh, an Indian company, uh, Grab, Getaround, uh, and a whole bunch of other uh, ancillary businesses in the mobility space, you know, companies that are doing package delivery and logistics and all kinds of different things. And so, you know, uh, they're they're buying uh, up to a, uh, I think a 19 percent stake in the subsidiary of GM you know GM Cruise um, and uh, you know GM's getting this you know up to two billion dollars you know if, if I think the first tranche of money is about a billion and then you know depending on how things go uh, it could uh, could be another billion and a quarter uh, over the next couple of years um, and you know I think you know it's an interesting deal. Because, you know, with all of these other mobility businesses that SoftBank is involved with um, in a lot of different markets, you know, it has the potential, you know, this, this, this is the first investment in a company that's actually making vehicles and creating the technology well, and the, not the driving learning technology. how to make vehicles as it goes too, right? Like they, they know how to make the car. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got, a, you've got an established automaker, you know, and you know, they, they've got, you know, the division that's developing their, their production automated driving software and they're, you know, they're um, there's, I, th I see this as having a potential to, you know, SoftBank could be a conduit to help GM get their automated vehicles, um, not only deployed on their own services, which is something they're they're likely to to do, you know, create their own aut automated ride hailing services, but also to get them into some of these other services in other parts of the world, you know. So I can see, you know, in in the next couple of years, DD Shusing operating a whole bunch of GM autonomous vehicles. Um, similarly, Ola, you know, down the road, uh, you know, operating them in China or in India, um, you know, and, in, you know, various other markets. So the, you know, basically the one thing that, um, that SoftBank hasn't done yet is really invested heavily in, in Europe. And that's something that I would expect to see, you know, in the not too distant future. I think, I think we'll probably see SoftBank, um, you know, tap into some of the, some of the European companies. So by and tapping in though, you I mean like investing in, in like Volkswagen in making investments. Or? Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe not the OEMs, but you know, some of the, some of the mobility service companies over there um, that, that are operating in the European market, you know, and, and you know, probably some startups uh, over there. Um, although, you know, it's possible that they could also uh, make an investment in a similar kind of investment in some of the European OEMs. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that was talked about in the announcement is, you know, that um, this this uh, cash infusion, you know, will help GM and Cruise, um, you know, establish some automated mobility services. Um, you know, and I think. I don't think they necessarily need the, the money here, but I think something that could be interesting. And I think we might've talked about it um, back. I know I talked to some people about it back when, when GM a couple of years ago decided to sell off Opal and Vauxhall to PSA um, is the idea that, you know, they're getting rid of their European car making operations. But I think that 
eventually GM will be back in the European market, but not selling vehicles the way they did with Opel and Vauxhall, but as a mobility service provider with automated vehicles. And I think that this deal with SoftBank could be part of, you know, uh, part, you know, helping to fund that move into the European mobility yeah, market. I, I'm curious. Uh, well, I guess there's a couple of things I'm curious about. Is this their 19, 19.6% stake in, um, in Cruise or GM Cruise? Uh, is that the largest sort of single stake in, in that, that part of the business? Do we, do we know? Um, well, you know, keep in mind that, you know, GM Cruise is, uh, you know, it's an LLC. It's a, it's a separate legal entity right. uh, from General Motors. So, you know, SoftBank is not getting a stake of General Motors. They're getting a stake of this other company that previously General Motors was the 100% owner of. They owned 100% of the shares in GM Cruise LLC. Um, well, <laughs> maybe they did. Actually, it's not entirely clear because they don't, they don't actually break that out. It, it's, it's possible that um, it's actually more of a deal that's more similar to Ford's arrangement with Argo AI. You know, Argo AI is a company that Ford owns the majority stake in, but um, the uh, the founders uh, Brian Selesky and and the and the other founders of Argo also own uh, have an equity stake in Argo, and so um, they uh, you know. They, you know, the, there's the potential there, you know, and when Ford made, announced their investment in Argo, you know, they talked about at some point down the road, you know, potentially having an IPO with Argo. So it's possible that GM Cruise LLC, you know, GM was the majority owner of, of that company, but it's, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the, the founders of Cruise, including Kyle Vogt, the CEO, and, and some of his original partners uh, also own a stake in that. So um, we don't we don't know what the rest of the distribution of GM Cruise uh, shares are. Um, only you know the part that SoftBank is buying. Yeah, well, and I ask because I'm just curious if if SoftBank is going to at some point use their money to swing uh, GM Cruise uh, into you know where where they would like it to go. You know they they're pretty diversified, right? You, you said they're they're tied up with ride hailing services. Mm -hmm. In, in, you know, all kinds of global markets, but they're also tied up with, uh, you know, it's NVIDIA and, um, you know, mapping companies and stuff, too. So yeah. they they can kind of try to integrate their the things that they own stakes in. Right. <laughs> Say yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. We'll give you the money, but you're going to use NVIDIA GPUs. That's that kind of that's thing. certainly a possibility. Um, we, and you that's know, like, it's, that's it's too cool early to or tell. bad, you know, like, I mean, it may give GM Cruz access to stuff they wouldn't and introductions they wouldn't otherwise have had. Right. And, or, or and I think that's, the, the I way. think that was part of the rationale for the deal is to create some, to help foster some of those connections to these other companies. Yes. I mean, some I of them, wait. you know, some of them like mapping companies and NVIDIA, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, they already have those relationships. I'm, I, I would be shocked if you know GM is not using some NVIDIA GPUs in their uh, automated driving stack. Um, but besides, beyond that, um, you know, some of the some of the smaller companies are where I think there's the potential to create these new connections. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I can't wait for all of the, the press releases that talk of synergies. <laughs> synergies. Always synergies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Dan, Dan Ammon said um, the GM was really excited because they, uh, they share GM's view of how automated vehicle technology will change the world. <laughs> I'm just like, what, what exactly is GM's view? Of how automated technology will change that it will lead to zero emissions and zero fatalities and zero congestion. That's bullshit. (laughs) Like, what was the if you do the math even now, like um, there's like a one to one ratio between Uber rides where they're they're carrying a passenger and they're deadheading. Well, and and that's that's one of the the things that they're trying to uh, trying to address with automated vehicles, and you know some, something that all the companies in this space are trying to figure out. They're trying to they're trying to develop you know uh, logistics systems. So, that, you know, and Ford in particular, you know, is you know they're really focused on this part of it. Is the the vehicle you know unlike the the Bolt that uh, is going to be GM's first autonomous vehicle at the door or the Chrysler Pacificas that Waymo is using, you know, those are really optimized for carrying passengers. You know, they're really only for carrying passengers. What Ford is developing is a vehicle that is going to be flexible uh, to be used for carrying passengers, carrying cargo, carrying packages, delivering food um, so that it they're what they're trying to do is avoid deadheading. They want to have, as 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 many trips that the as many of the miles that those vehicles cover be revenue generating miles as possible they want to keep those those deadheading miles to an absolute minimum and you know i'm gm you know i know is doing the same thing and and i think that the the bolt that we've seen so far is really just a first step this is the vehicle they're going to launch with for a ride hailing service um but I think that, you know, by 2021, you know, around the time Ford brings their vehicle to market, if not sooner, we will see additional vehicles from GM that are very different from the Bolt. Uh, and at some point, we'll probably see something, you know, from Waymo, you know, that they work with some OEM partner to develop that is very different from the Pacifica or the Jaguar I-Pace that is, you know, more flexible and capable of handling these different scenarios. And I was, I was was at a conference yesterday here in Detroit, um, the TU automotive Detroit conference. And I was talking with Jason Pankin, the CEO of auto harvest, a company of their, they're a nonprofit that works with a lot of startups and and businesses and helps them, you know, to, you know, as a, a business accelerator and, you know, working, you know, helping them to get them connected to other companies, you know, create partnerships. Um, and, you know, Jason asked me the question, uh, you know, it's like, so has anybody figured out how to make money at any of this? And I told him, honestly, no, nobody, nobody, ha- nobody is certain how they're going to make a profit off of this. Right. Well, I certainly like running a sort of rogue venture capital subsidized taxi service. You mean like Uber? Or yeah, like all of these. Yeah, Didi has the same problem, right? Like mm-hmm. they've got just giant parking lots where the <laughs> drivers like sleep and stuff. Like you can't. I don't think you can make that profitable once you've set the expectation that you're going to get, you know, a premium level of service, a very individualized level of service, for less money than a traditional taxi ride. Now, there's got to be some kind of middle ground, you know, like. 
the, and I, I know that the taxi industry is working hard to try to incorporate some of the uh, customer friendly, you, you know, user experience of Uber into a more more traditional fleet. Um, so we'll see where that shakes out. But, you know, as I hear this stuff get talked about, I'm like, they, they have to think like they're an airline or uh you know, a, a trucking company or even like FedEx or UPS, like people at a certain point for, for this technology um, to at least get it off the ground and make it start making money. Uh, people are just another form of cargo. They're meat bags. And <laughs> that's what you have to think about. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what these companies are starting to think, you know, Toyota at CES, when they uh, announced ePallet, the ePallet Alliance, it's the same thing. You know, they're, they're creating vehicles that are, um, you know, going to be flexible and they're, you know, working with partners like the Pizza Hut and Postmates and Amazon uh, and Didi and Uber, you know, to figure out how they can utilize those vehicles like an airline does, uh, utilizes airliners, you know, for an airliner, it, it's only making money when it's in the sky, carrying passengers and cargo from one place to another. When it's sitting on the tarmac, you know, waiting, there is, you know, it's, it's, it's losing money. And that is exactly what um, all these companies are trying to avoid. They're trying to figure out how they can do that. That's, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, one, one of several reasons why, for example, Aptive bought Newtonomy. You know, Aptive is the, the company, you know, when uh, Delphi uh, split up uh, late last year. Uh, Aptive is the, the side of the company that is doing the automated driving and um, electrical architectures and the um, and the services business. And part of why they bought Newtonomy is one of the two founding partners of Newtonomy. You know, you got Carl and Yemma, who he's the, the technical guy on the automated driving side, the CEO, and his, his partner, Emilio Frizzoli. The work that he did at MIT was more focused on the logistics and services. And that's that's part of why they brought those guys in, because they wanted his expertise in how to figure out how to schedule these vehicles and get them utilized, maximize the utilization so they can find a way to actually turn a profit on this stuff instead of just setting fire to, to piles of venture capital cash. Yeah, I mean, look, no nicer group of people could have their money set on fire. <laughs> so, yeah, well, the, you know, and that that's fine. Um, but, you know. They're, you know, the automakers and, you know, some of the other traditional companies, they don't have the VC money to burn. So they have to right. find other ways to make a, make a make a viable business. Well, they have to do something more than the what if there was a different way? Bullshit. And actually look at it and make a business case for it and say, we're going to put in X amount of investment and effort and it's going to pay off and it's going to take this long and it's going to have these usage cases. Right. And that's not there yet. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's what, you know, at Ford, that's what Team Edison is. You know, this team uh, led by uh, Sharif Markby, um, you know, their their whole focus is on developing new business models around electrification and automated driving. So, you know, they're you know, they've got this dedicated team of several hundred people that are working on this stuff. And they're, you know, they're trying all kinds of experiments. You know, they're they're trying to figure out what's going to work and what doesn't work, you know, on a, a small scale initially, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, once they find something that, that looks like it has promise, you know, scale that up. Yeah. 
well, I mean, good. GM got somebody else to kick in some money. So yeah. it's better for GM. And it's, it, it, I mean, do they need to pay it back? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, see? Yeah. Perfect. GM found a rich uncle. I mean, unless, awesome. you know, it's at some point, you know, if SoftBank wants to, wants to get out, you know, and they want to sell their stake, you know, then somebody will have to, somebody will have to buy it. But, you know, it could be GM or it could be somebody else. But I think I yeah. think uh, I think SoftBank is in this stuff for the long haul. Well, SoftBank has a lot of diversified investments. So, I mean, when one sags and others up, you know, it's, they'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not worried about SoftBank. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Well, let's let's uh, let's jump on to the next next topic. Uh, why don't, why don't we dive into the FCA stuff and leave uh leave the veloster for next week okay so speaking of things you're you're not worried about or you are worried about like uh i don't know the the, the fca five-year plan caused a bit of speculation at first uh because it seems like it was pretty focused on um to me it seemed like it was focused on the money makers like they're they're looking at uh, the most important brands over the next five years, brands and products. And they were talking about those and yeah, Chrysler and Dodge kind of got left out a little bit and that made people a little because they, they a, a lot entirely. Yeah, um, <laughs> pretty much. And, and those, you know, those brands have really had their lineups trimmed. So it, it makes people question now what is left is selling as far as, as uh, I know. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said before we started, the Challenger's selling better than ever, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> but good for them. Uh, but yeah, so overall, the the product plan was, you know, Maserati, Ram, Jeep, and Alpha. So they get a lot of stuff coming. FCA does this on a, you know, semi-regular basis. They just yeah, every drop five a bunch years. of stuff. Yeah, yeah kind of. And then they're like, well, here's where we're going to go. And then we're totally not going to do any of this. It's yeah, really it's, different. Yeah, you know, ever since you know, ever since uh, FCA, you know, the ever since it became FCA with, you know, the combination of Fiat and Chrysler after Chrysler's bankruptcy in two thousand nine, um, you know, every few years, uh, Sergio Marchionne has had this day long uh, event where you know they basically lay out their the company's plan for the next five years which you know it's it's unusual in that you know they're the they're one of the few companies that lays out such a detailed product plan for the world to see of you know this is what we intend to do for the next five years and then they don't follow it well they've actually yeah, they've done most of it i mean you know they're you know when you're talking about five years you know things plans are going to change well, especially um, you know, in a you know a volatile business like car making. Yeah. So, so you know the the first one led by Mark, first one of these led by Marchione was in two thousand nine. Um, you know, it was an all day thing in in Auburn Hills, um, and then they did it again in twenty fourteen, and now um, they they did it again last Friday, um, and you know what's what's interesting this time is it's the last one that Sergio is going to be involved with because he's retiring next year. Uh, he's turning 65 and he said he's, he's retiring. They haven't announced who's going to replace him yet. Uh, but they, uh, they did this one in Italy and, um, 
you know, the, the first half of the day was spent going through the brands, um, you know, each of the brands, you know, they did this presentation, you know, going through the product plan and, and what they intend to do. Um, and as you mentioned, they did not say anything about Chrysler or Dodge or Fiat for that matter. Um, you know, the two the, the, the two brands that are in the company name were not mentioned in any of this discussion. <laughs> Um, so, you know, uh, you know, they, they've said, you know, the, the brands are not going away anytime soon, you know, uh, Fiat or uh, Dodge and, and Chrysler are going to basically be, um, North America market brands, you know, they're not going to be global brands. Um, and they, they will get some product going forward, although it's not clear yet what that product will be other than Pacifica hybrids to sell to Waymo for Chrysler. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but my, my assumption is that the Dodge and Chrysler and Fiat, well, I mean, Fiat's kind of a global brand, but the Dodge and Chrysler stuff is going to be based on the platforms and, you know, stuff that they develop for the actual global brands, you know, it's not going to yeah, be sort of a standalone think, island. I think, I think, you know, that's, that's a reasonable assumption. You know, the other possibility is that they just keep tweaking what they have, <laughs> which Ugh. is not beyond the realm of possibility. Are you ready for the 2025 Dodge Challenger Demon <sighs> SRT Dart GTS? Hey, I mean, you know, they, I think they, they still have a couple of vehicles that they haven't put the, uh, the Hellcat engine into. So, you know, they, they should they need... Hellcat everything. Yeah. I want a Hellcat Pacifica with it mounted in the middle. <laughs> you you yeah. never know. You never know. Hey, look, it's got stow and go. It can probably take the engine, too. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go through the brands that they did talk about? Okay. Which, you know, as you said, they're, they're global brands. And, and also importantly, um, some of them are premium brands, you know, so these are the brands that are actually making FCA the most money. Um, and so you want to, which one you want to start with? Oh, let's go in alphabetical order. Let's start with alpha. Okay. Uh, so Alfa Romeo, you know, in the 2014 product plan, they talked about, you know, introducing, seven models and and you know having 700,000 sales uh by now annually um and uh, uh Sergio apologized uh that you know they they overreached uh, they couldn't they couldn't quite manage that um you know they're currently at about uh about 140,000 sales and their their projection now is to try to get to 400,000 by 2022 well but 140,000 um, for alpha is not that's better than i thought it would be yeah, um, you know, and that's that's global. Um, you know, so it's it's not oh, it's okay. not ter you know, it, yeah, certainly. And well, even the 700,000 number was not for just for right. North America. That was a right. global volume. That's, that's which that's you know, true. for the Alpha brand, you know, when when they started this, they were, you know, uh, you know, about 60 or 70,000 units a year, I think. Uh, oh, globally so, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. So, you know, they're They've they've uh, they've grown it quite a bit, um, but they they still have a ways to go. So they they talked about you know some of the you know the successes they've had you know with the Julia and the Stelvio, um, and you know the the four C you know even though it's very low volume um, you know it's you know it's very well regarded for what it is, um, and so um, you know going forward you know the the models are going to add you know first up. You know they're going to do long wheelbase versions of the 
um, of the Julia and Stelvio, um, which will probably be primarily for the Chinese market because the, the Chinese market likes long wheelbase versions of cars because, you know, a lot of especially premium models because uh, people buy those and they often, you know, they want to be driven around. They pay a driver to drive them and they sit in the back. So they like that extra leg room. Yeah, um, I don't think here in the States I would kick a uh, long wheelbase Julia or Stelvio out of the garage either. I think those that might be nice to have. Yeah, it depends. Dep- depends how they execute it. So it's it's yeah. possible. Yeah. So I mean, we we may well get those, particularly the Stelvio here. Maybe not the Julia. Yeah. Um, and then you know, uh, in addition to that, they're getting um, a compact crossover, um, a new Julietta, which is the compact car that they sell in Europe. They're dropping the Mito, the Me Too. Uh, which is their? Oh, they their, still their, make that. They still make it, yeah, but they don't wow. sell very many of them. So that's going away. That's and that's not going to get replaced. So you know the Julietta and a compact crossover. They're also getting a larger three-row crossover, um, and the you know the from an enthusiast standpoint, the really exciting news was that they're going to launch a new GTV coupe and bring back the 8C, revive the 8C brand, uh, which. You know, the last 8C we got, you know, was kind of the, the car that sort of relaunched Alfa Romeo, you know, a decade ago. You know, it was a limited production, only 100 units of the 8C Competizione um, Coupe, you know, which was just this gorgeous coupe, uh, two-seater coupe and, uh, you know, very low volume, uh, very expensive. Um, and this time they're doing something entirely different with the 8C. Uh, it's going to be uh, a mid-engine um, sports car, bigger than the 4C. Uh, with uh, it's going to be um, a hybrid. Uh, you know, similar. It sounds like it's going to be similar in concept to the NSX, uh, with electrified front axle, twin turbo, mid-engine, um, and more than 700 horsepower and zero to 60 in under three seconds. Do you think it'll have a Hellcat? No. That's too bad. I, I I do not believe they will put a Hellcat in an Alfa Romeo. That's a damn shame. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a twin <laughs> turbo. It's not supercharged. So, um, you know, more yeah. more likely it'll be uh, a twin turbo. Uh, well, let's see. Since it's a hybrid, it could actually be the uh, the, the the Quadrifoglio V6, the 2.9 yeah, liter V6. Because that's, yeah, you know, I mean, that's 500 horsepower. And then you add electrification to another 200 horsepower is pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's not a combo that sucks. Nope. Yeah. That'd be okay. <laughs> and then the, the GTV is going to be a front drive or a front engine coupe, um, you know, front, front mid engine with 600 horsepower with, uh, e-boost, uh, you know, which is their, um, mild hybrid 48 volt mild hybrid system. Um, and all wheel drive with torque vectoring and, you know, one of the things they talked about for each of these brands, you know, but we're going to get electrification across every single model going forward. So for Alpha, you know, every model is going to have some degree of electrification available, whether that's a mild hybrid or a plug-in hybrid or battery electric. Um, so far, no no battery electric plans for the for Alpha, but they are going to get six plug-in hybrids, um, and they're also going to have. Uh, level two and level three automated semi-automated driving systems, um, which uh, they they talked separately about their automation plans, and you know going forward, FCA is planning to do currently you know today in the in the marketplace they have a level two system on the uh, 
the Maserati Levante and um, and the um, uh, what's the the Ghibli, the the smaller sedan they have um, and going for and that's that's a Bosch system going forward. They're going to do an L2 plus, which is more like Cadillac Super Cruise um, and an L3 system and what they're doing is they're they're doing three different partnerships for these systems. They're working with Aptiv on all the L2 Plus stuff, which is adaptive cruise control with lane centering. Uh, they're, the the BMW partnership that was announced uh, last year uh, with BMW and Intel that they're going to use that for level three systems, which are you know hands off, feet off, eyes off, you know, but. Uh, you know, so it can go sort of fully automated, but in, in limited conditions. Um, and you have to be ready to take over. Uh, that's like the, the Audi traffic jam pilot. And then they're also and they're doing those with BMW and Intel. And then the level four systems they're going to get from Waymo and apply that to certain vehicles in their lineup that they will sell to consumers. And that uh, we'll come back to when, when we talk about Maserati. All right. Uh, let's talk about Jeep. Jeep's the okay. next one in the, in the alphabet. Jeep. Uh, they are okay. the money engine for Chrysler. Yes. They, they, and this is this is this is Jeep. That like FCA doesn't seem like it's on its deathbed yet, but I I, I worry because they they currently own Jeep, and the history of Jeep has been that it just it it, it kills its host organism. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a parasite. Yeah. It sucks, sucks the life. It, it makes all the money, but also sucks the life out of the rest of the company. Uh, it does. I mean, it's it's such a well-regarded brand and it just it does make money. Uh, and, you know, their vehicles, they sell for a higher transaction price than the competition. They hold their value. Uh, at least, you know, some some models do. Um, and it, it just baffles my mind that a company that owns Jeep is is going to struggle like. Yeah. What's the matter with you? I don't know. Um, but yeah, Jeep's going to be ad- adding a bunch more models uh, to their lineup. Um, s- many of which we won't see here in North America. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have uh, over the next five years or between now and 2022. So I guess the next four years, they're going to have two new product launches a year. Um, they're going to have 10 plug-in hybrids and they've already, you know, when they launched the, uh, the new Wrangler last, uh, last November at the LA auto show at that time, they talked about, uh, it will get a plug-in hybrid version in 2020. So that'll be one of the first ones to get that. Um, but they're going to have 10 total plug-in hybrids in the lineup by 22. Uh, and also for battery electric models, those battery electric models will not be for North America or for Europe, for that matter. Those are going to be China only, and they're being developed uh, through the joint venture that Jeep has um, with, uh, I think it's Guangzhou in, uh, in China. And those will yeah. be China, China only models. So we'll never see those here. So I, they, I've got a couple of, questions like first of all i'm i'm glad that they're going to do a new renegade because i i don't know kind of the best renegade's a 500x um i agree even even <laughs> though it sells only in tiny volumes compared to the jeep version i know but it's just the renegade is just it's too much um low d3 row what the heck is that uh so that is um uh you know, so a D segment would be Grand Cherokee. 
uh, or actually Cher- uh, that'll be Cherokee, sorry, Cher- Cherokee sized, uh, okay. low means it's going to be a little more car like, so uh, but a three row. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Station- basically okay. a three row, a three row station wagon. Um, um grand commander. So I, I, that's not more, here. more. Yeah. Um, Grand Commander is uh, a model that they they just launched uh, in Be- at the Beijing show for the China yeah. market. So that's and a Chinese cool only model. Yeah, yeah. But that's I that's like only it. for China. Um, so the the low D three row, uh, think of that something more like um, like a Subaru Outback. Okay. Also, not coming here would be my assumption. They, I don't think they said. I think we are going to get that one. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's not and it's not like Jeep doesn't have a history of some of that kind of stuff. Like they had the Jeepster years ago, which was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. sort of car ish. Right. Um, and of course, the uh, the Jeep truck, which is yep. you know, the uh, Scrambler, which actually the, the this week uh, driving back and forth to Detroit and, and other places, I've been seeing tons of Scrambler prototypes, you know, in camo <laughs> running up, up and down 90, I-94 here. Uh, so I think we'll probably see the scrambler sooner than later possibly as soon as as this month later this month um and then uh you know next generation grand cherokee um a larger uh three-row variant off the grand cherokee right so basically grand cherokee and commander or grand cherokee and durango because they're gonna i'm assuming they're gonna share the platform and yeah longer um do do they indicate that it's going to be an all new grand cherokee or refinement um i don't uh they didn't stream the whole event so i'm i'm yeah. i wasn't able to listen in uh so i'm not sure i think it's a, an all new uh grand cherokee um and i believe I, in fact um, from other people i heard from i think it is an all new and it's uh i think it's going to be derived from the uh um the platform that's being used by uh, alpha and maserati um, I better be good. I mean, yeah. the, the WK, sure will be. WK and WK2 have they've gotten their their money's worth out yep. of that. And, that. and it's a good platform. It's it's uh, yeah. Hope they don't screw that one up. <laughs> and, you know, and then, of course, the return of the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer so um, in a couple of years. That one is curious to me, too, because the rumor is that that's going to be actually based off a of Ram. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me, um, because those are going to be, you know, those are going to be significantly larger. You know, if you're going to do uh, a three row derived, you know, three row Jeep derived from the Grand Cherokee uh, platform, you know, and you then you're going to go larger and they've got it lit, you know, here as, you know, the F segment. So that kind of implies that it's, you know, it's a full size utility. And, you know, currently FCA doesn't have anything to compete directly against, you know, uh, Yukon and Tahoe and expedition. So it would make sense to do something like that off the, uh, off the Ram, uh, pickup platform. Well, you know, now I'm kind of interested to see what they're cooking up because, you know, when you think about it, um, a Jeep in that segment, like almost has the panache of an escalate or a navigator. It, it it like certainly it's a different thing, mm-hmm. but it's oh, yeah. the same kind of premium full size traditional truck based SUV. Yeah, absolutely. So and it could really print a lot of money for them. <laughs> uh, it, it very well could. Um, and uh, they're also adding another uh, Hawk to the lineup. You know, so we've got 
currently today we have the, the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, which is the Hellcat version of the Grand Cherokee. Um, we have Trailhawks of you know variants of all of the current Jeep models, which are the off-road uh, variants. And they're going to be adding uh, the Desert Hawk, uh, which Desert is... Uh, at least the you know the the images that they showed were based on the Cherokee. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have multiple um, Desert Hawk variants, you know, off different nameplates. But the Desert Hawk is designed as the ultimate Jeep high speed off road capability. Oh, um, so like a Raptor kind of thing. Yeah, more more Raptor like, and uh, you know, so they they showed an image, you know, this thing you know, uh, running through sand dunes, uh, you know, and it looks like something that's targeted at the Middle East market. I would like them to do a chicken hawk. <laughs> it's just like high efficiency with no performance. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, mean, sure. I think, I think that's what those, uh, China only, uh, battery electrics are for. Right. I mean, they've got all the other hawks. I think chicken hawk is never mind. And, and the the, uh, the, des the desert hawk is uh, scheduled to launch in the first quarter of 2020. Um, I mean, Jeep's definitely the one to watch in terms. Like I, my feeling is that like Jeep is possibly the the most important brand in the FCA. Oh, it's, uh, it's absolutely the most. I mean, it's not well between Jeep and Ram. I mean, Jeep Jeep on a global level. And certainly Ram for North America, you know, those are the those are the two brands that are are printing all the money. But, you know, the reason why, you know, Alpha, they're focused so much on Alpha and Maserati is because that's actually where there's more growth, you know, in the mainstream segments, you know, over the, the next decade. You know, the projections are, you know, that most of the you know sales are, are sales growth is going to be fairly minimal. Um, over the next decade and you know in fact eventually going to start to decline towards the end of the decade um, but for premium brands premium nameplates that's where there's going to be more sig significant growth and especially in electrified versions and that's why they're putting a lot of focus on electrifying alfa romeo and maserati um, you know to try and capture that but also to add more you know premium variants of both ram and um or you know high high dollar variants of ram and jeep models like the desert hawk and you know why don't we go ahead and jump right into ram uh sure. e even though it's uh out of, out of alphabetical or order but, out of alphabet that's okay so right. so ram you know they uh you know they've they've launched the new uh 1500 there's a new heavy duty that uh will be launching um either late this year or early next year um and then they're also uh, they promised uh, a production version of the TRX, uh, which was a concept they did back in 2015, which was uh, essentially a Hellcat Ram. Uh, but it was it's an off road Hellcat powered uh, full size pickup. Um, and, you know, so it's it's kind of their more direct answer to the F-150 Raptor. Yeah. And then so, again, that should do so the. Ram, I think, has sort of come from behind to uh, really gain market share uh, over the last couple of years. Maybe I'm um, not I, really. I mean, it, okay. So the, the split it the split between <laughs> Ford, GM, and Ram has stayed rel in terms of market share has stayed relatively steady. Um, yeah, you know, but they they are expecting to see some more growth 
uh, in market share from Ram over the next couple of years because of some of the new products they've got coming. Yeah, um, only they just redid the truck, and it's really, really good. So yeah. That will play into it as well. Right. And so, you know, the truck, um, you know, we've got mild hybrid versions of the truck. There's also going to be a plug-in hybrid coming of the uh, 1500. Um, we're getting level two automation added uh, to the uh, the 1500, the heavy duty and uh, the new all master, all new ProMaster City, the small van, uh, which competes with the Transit Connect. Um, and then... Um, uh, there will be an updated version of the big ProMaster vans as well uh, coming. And the other big news is that uh, they're adding a new midsize uh, pickup truck to go up against the Ranger and the Tacoma and the uh, Canyon Colorado and, and the Frontier. So uh, the long rumored midsize Ram pickup truck is, is finally going to be arriving. Yeah, it's going to be a Fiat Doblo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, maybe maybe not or, well i mean it, it might be the fiat toro right the, so the the yeah. double is the little like it the double is the um the pro master right which is like yeah, a flat the, bed in the back uh, uh no it's uh, uh pro master no, city the, the, i think that yeah i think uh no i think that the, the Doblo is just the um, just the promaster what, whatever the promaster city is in as a fiat vehicle in europe um, oh, the, so well, they make a pickup all, version of it. Yeah, so there's a pickup version of it, but that's you know I think that's the Doblo is the full the, the name for the full lineup there. Oh, okay. Um, and then the, the Ducato is the large van, the pro okay. the big ProMaster. Um, and just like their other pickups are the the Strada and the Toro, um, in Europe. Uh, yes, those are really interesting. I'd love to try one of those. I'd and that's not what the Ram, the midsize Ram is going to be. Yeah. Um, that's probably best. Like, yeah. that, I don't think they'd work here. Weirdos no. would like them, but what they really need is, is some other <laughs> not weirdo pickup. Yep. Um, do, do we know what it's going to be though? Or like they, they like how they, far along are they? They have not said anything. Um, it, you know, it could well end up being, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a variant of the Scrambler, the Jeep Scrambler. You oh, know? that's so, true. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could put a Ram style body on that, you know, that's and, you know, maybe, you know, reduce the off-road capability uh, or, you know, maybe you have an off-road version of it. You know, so maybe you have a midsize TRX as well at some point. Uh, but that, that's, you know, that that would be one potential route or it could just be a scaled down 1500. Yeah, the skill down fifteen hundred though. Like, see, that's the thing that gets me is the the midsize trucks aren't really all that much smaller. Um, they're not any cheaper. Um, uh, well, they're not from a know, consumer they're, perspective. They're 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 not cheaper compared to where um, the you know the the light the full size light duty pickups were a decade ago. But the problem is those full-size light-duty pickups have gotten so much bigger and so much more expensive. That's why there's now room for these mid-size trucks again. Uh, yeah, I get so that that's a good point. Um, and you know, there's the you know, other, average transaction price on an F one fifty is forty three thousand dollars now, which is insane. Yeah, 
That's so and, much and, money. <laughs> and overall for F series, you know, a combination of Super Duty and F one fifty, um, you know, is like fifty four thousand dollars. That's that's a lot of dough for a truck. Um, yeah. Like, especially because, you know, trucks were work vehicles. They were supposed to be durable and cheap, so you could beat the hell right. out of them. Well, you know, I mean, Ford is selling, you know, $100,000, you know, F-450 Platinums now. Yeah, and, and GM's not that far <laughs> off from there. Uh, you know, and, Yuck. you know, even even Ram, you know, they've got, um, you know, Ram versions of the Ram. There's a Ram Limited that's, like, in the $80,000 range. I, you know, good good for them that they're they're making profit off that i yeah it just boggles the mind um i i guess too like the folks that buy the mid-sized truck so a there's there shouldn't be an assumption that just because it's smaller it should be less expensive so that's the, that's the kind of crap that i do all the time that i should stop doing <laughs> it's like yeah. well it's smaller but it's not cheaper well it, it doesn't yeah. have to be cheaper but yeah, but it, but it will. Yeah, I mean, you know, these midsize trucks are generally going to be more affordable than, you know, than the F1, the big, uh, the full size ones are. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean they're going to be cheap. They're just they're just filling the gap left behind by the full size ones when they got so expensive. Right. And, I, you know, I, I have to believe that somebody wanting the midsize truck is it, they might actually have a higher average transaction price. Um than the the full size pickups, just because it's generally going to be a more motivated buyer, and maybe that's that's um, maybe. But. But, I mean, you know, if you look at you know where Ford's going with the Ranger, what you know GM's doing with the uh, uh, Colorado Canyon, um, they're generally you know they don't have the same level of capability. You don't have the towing, you don't have the payload. Um, you know, you've got smaller engines. You know, they're they're i think you know if you compared them to the low end um right. you know full size trucks then yeah the transaction prices are going to be in the same ballpark but right. you know they're, they 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 top off you know pretty much where the big trucks start off you know pick up from and and move on from there right and i guess when i'm when i'm saying relative average transaction so i'm trying to i'm trying to qualify my language too much this is not this is not working um if it's just a smaller version of the 1500 too like you can't really make it much cheaper or you erase your profit so um it better be compelling and i'm sure it 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 will be i kind of like rams a lot i I like the trucks they yeah another especially the new 1500 is a fantastic truck I mean, the ones that they put in the media fleet are usually like the Laramies or the King Ranch or what. It's it's hard not to like those trucks because um, they're very nice, no matter what the brand is. Yeah. They usually put the well, the, the Rebel, you know, is is a great truck as well. I mean, and you know, that's one of the more affordable ones. You know, it's it's kind of in the middle of the the pack, but it's the more off road tuned version. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's Nick Kappa's favorite. You know, it's it's the Nick Kappa special. I like the Rebel. I had a couple of those yeah. as, as media loans over the last couple of years. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, I, they're I, I drove truck. the Rebel, you know, the desert in Arizona in March and, you know, it was fantastic. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a Raptor, but it's Raptory enough for most people. And, and it doesn't come with some of the sacrifices that a Raptor comes with. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's well positioned. You know, they're, they're, that's the thing that I've noticed about FCA and and in general, not just Ram is they're, they're pretty clever about how they differentiate their vehicles. And they also tend to really put an emphasis on, um, the, the user, 
there's a lot of really thoughtful sort of well-considered features throughout um, their, their cars and trucks. So I'm very curious to what that midsize Ram is going to be. Um, I yeah, think you're on the right track too with the, the making it a version of the scrambler. Yeah. I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, but I'll be, I'll definitely be curious as well to see what they do with that. Um, or, you know, the other possibility as well is, you know, that maybe they follow the, um, the Honda Ridgeline approach and, you know, do a unibody, a midsize unibody, uh, more like the Ridgeline, you know, take that off of the, the new Grand Cherokee platform. I didn't, that would please me to no end. I just don't think that there would be that many other people it pleases. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, because, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of there's a lot about that uh, idea of, you know, unibody midsize pickup that I think for a lot of buyers, you know, it it actually makes a lot more sense than doing a body on frame. Uh, I mean, they they could call but, it the Comanche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows? You know, um, but you know, th- I think that that type of architecture would make actually make a lot more sense to a lot of the customers that might be interested in a midsize pickup. Oh yeah, but, for sure. I by, mean, you know, by by you know wrapping it in Ram styling and putting the Ram name on it, you know, I think that is you know potentially going to give more instant credibility to the vehicle than the Honda Ridgeline is going to have as, as good as the Ridgeline is. It, I think calling it a Ram. And the other thing is, you know, if you're, if you're deriving it from the Grand Cherokee, you know, the Ridgeline is derived, you know, from the pilot and Odyssey platform, you know, which, so it's a transverse, you know, front wheel drive platform, right. you know, as the, as the default, um, you know, if you're taking it off the Grand Cherokee platform, you know, it's a unibody, but it's also longitudinal, um, you know, rear drive, uh, rear drive slash all wheel drive. And so in that case, you know, it's, it's likely to have better towing capability, better, you know, maybe better payload capability, you know, and certainly, you know, we've seen what, uh, what Jeep can do with towing on the Grand Cherokee. So imagine a pickup truck off that platform, you know, basically a Durango pickup truck. Um, yeah, I mean, it has, has merit for sure. And I, and I think that, you know, Ridgeline definitely proves it's it's proof of concept. Uh, that's a very good truck um, for a lot of people who buy other trucks that aren't as good. <laughs> so if Jeep can do it and sort of erase some of that stigma that you you mentioned, um, well, it would it would be it would be a Ram, not a, not a Jeep. I, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. If 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 yeah. they could they could do it and make it a, a Ram. Um, uh, you know, because Ram has that it, sort of legitimacy, that truck legitimacy. Right. And, you know, it would it would give, give them kind of a unique proposition in that whole midsize segment. You know, so you've got the Ridgeline, you know, representing that front drive transverse engine architecture. You've got, you know, everybody else, you know, the, the Ranger, the Colorado Canyon, the Tacoma, the Frontier off of traditional rear drive body on frame designs. And, you know, so that would give FCA something completely unique uh, in that segment that might give the, you know, better, you know, better than the best of the other two worlds. Yeah. I mean, look, unibody. And and you could put a Hellcat in it. You could. Absolutely. You could call it the the, The Dakota Trackhawk. Yeah. 
Okay. Why not? What what could possibly go wrong? I, you know what? I'm I'm completely down with it. Look, I mean, unibody picks up pickups have been a thing uh, throughout oh, yeah. throughout the history. I mean, Ford had the F100 back in the day, um, and then there was certainly the the Comanche, where it was basically it was unibody, and they they uh, yeah. Made, I mean, it was it was that XJ Cherokee with a yeah. Oh, well, actually, there was a Comanche before that off the older Cherokee. Yeah, the SJs. But the, like the, the Comanche, the, the XJ based one, it was. Um, I think it was the MJ because uh, it had it was slightly different. They basically they welded up uh, some boxed sections to, to sort of form a frame where it needed it to have okay. that body turn body cab transition. But overall, it was basically like two unibody sections joined together. It was very clever. Um, and I, I think the, the genesis for that was the, uh, the gremlin based Jeep cowboy, I think. Was, I don't even remember yeah, that. It, it was a concept car. I don't think they ever, they ever made okay. any of it, but it was, it's an interesting story that I wrote up and then never published. So <laughs> maybe one of these <laughs> well, days. What are you waiting for? I, yeah, I was trying to get, um, permission to use the pictures. Oh, here it is. And so the AMC cowboy concept yeah. is as American as, as an eagle eating a hot dog. <laughs> it's um, not Jalopnik. Yeah, of course it is. Um, yeah, it, it was All basically right. like that was the prototype for the, the XJ uh, or MJ, you know, the, the Comanche. They basically worked out how to do that, that body cat, a body, uh, body in bed sort of transition with box sections, unibody. Um, so, okay, so we're, we're totally all right. Up. So let's Maserati. Let's, let's finish up. Finish up with Maserati. Maserati. So like in the in the, Maser, in the Maserati presentation, you know they they focused on this whole thing I, I mentioned about the premium segments growing faster than mainstream. Yeah, are they going to make any cars that aren't ugly though? All the uh, well, all the we'll cars see. are ugly. <laughs> um, so the uh, you know their the projection is that. Uh, you know, over the next five years, um, mainstream brands are going to grow by 10% globally. Premium brands are going to grow by 19%. And, you know, of course, you know, the utilities versus cars, you know, 22% versus 5% growth globally. Um, and then the other piece of this is that by the mid twenties, they're projecting, uh, up to a third of these vehicles of these premium vehicles are going to be electrified. So mostly, um, plug-in hybrids and battery electrics. So that's, that's kind of where they're, they're planning to take Maserati, you know, is more utilities and electrification across the board. Um, you know, and, and Maserati, I think their sales, global sales last year were somewhere around 70,000 60 or 70,000 units. Um, and they want to grow that significantly. So, you know, the first piece of that, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw the Alfieri concept, which, you know, everybody assumed was eventually going to be a replacement for the, um, the extremely old, uh, but still quite gorgeous Gran Turismo. Oh, you think it's gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> I always liked it. I'm just, a. a you know what it is? I get hung up on the Quattroporte that looks like some sort of like weird Buick concept. Um, yeah. yeah the, I, I, I still like the Gran Turismo. The, uh, it's, it's finally going to get replaced by the Alfieri. I mean, the Alfieri looks, it almost like it looks like a coupe. So you're basically saying it's not going to be a coupe like that. Uh, actually, a coupe and a convertible. They're doing both. Okay. Um, and uh, 
it's going to have a plug-in hybrid powertrain uh, with electric all-wheel drive, so an electric front electric drive front axle. Um, you know, they're active aero, and they're claiming zero to sixty in under two seconds. So, um, you know, they're they're going for Tesla territory with this thing. I mean, okay, yeah. why not? Yeah, and then you know, it it wouldn't be you know twenty eighteen in the car business if you weren't adding another uh, SUV to your lineup, and so. Uh, you know, they've got the Levante now, you know, which is, uh, you know, on the larger side um, and they're going to add a midsize utility, you know, something closer in size to like an Acura RDX. And it, too, will have a plug in hybrid powertrain um, and they're they're aiming for best in class, lightweight platforms, 50 50 weight distribution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, they're going to um, have replacements for the Quattroporte and the Levante as well. Uh, over the next five years, um, which also will get plug-in hybrid powertrain. So basically plug-in hybrids across the board for Maserati. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, they announced that they're working with Waymo. They're going to be working with Waymo to uh, incorporate um, Waymo's technology into vehicles for um for retail sale, you know, cause Waymo is not planning to sell vehicles to consumers. They're just going to operate mobility services. Um, and, uh, you know, FCA wants to sell some level four vehicles to consumers, but that's, you know, that's technology that's going to be so expensive that, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to sell that in a mainstream vehicle. But I think, you know, if they, if they end up doing this, it'll probably be on a Maserati, maybe an alpha, but more likely just on Maseratis where you get some level four, uh, automated systems that are, you know, capable of fully automated driving and there's under certain limited conditions. Uh, these are all things that work really well. And I think that those buyers, you know, the Maserati buyers, they buy that stuff. You know, I, I think there is some of that crossover with the, the Tesla buyer where they're, they're there for the gadgets and they're there for the, the, you know, quote unquote autopilot, you know, like that, that's, that's that niche. Um, so I, I don't, I don't see the, none of that is, is a wrong move. I think um, I still like Maserati. They want to grow it. And that's, that's cool. Uh, right now, I think that part of the allure is that it's still kind of a niche. It's rare to see a Maserati, even around here in Boston, where there's a lot of them. Yeah, no, they they are still pretty rare. Um, but I think, you know, there's there's still plenty of room for some growth there you know, while keeping them comparatively rare. Yeah. And I, I guess, too, that's the that's the thing is like. Uh, don't you want stuff that you like to be popular, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sort of but the, not too popular. Right. So you got to find that right balance. So, so by 22, you know, FCA aims to have, uh, four plug-in hybrids and four or sorry, eight plug-in hybrid models in the Maserati lineup and four battery electric vehicles. Um, so, you know, they're going to, they're going to do battery electric versions of the, the updated Ghibli, the new Levante, um, the Quattroporte and the, uh, the Alfieri. I, you know, I would, I would drive an electric Maserati. I'm only, you're saying electrified though, right? So it's not like full. No, uh, both. They're, they're, they're <coughs> going to do plug-in hybrids, but they're also going to do full battery electric versions. Right. You said that. Yeah. 
<laughs> and their their tar- their target is to hit a hundred thousand units globally by twenty twenty two, which uh, we'll see. I, I wouldn't put money on that one, but really? you never know. I was going to say that doesn't seem like it's that hard, especially maybe they may not be able to grow it in the U.S. much at all, but they should be able to grow it in in China and India. Yeah, I mean, China, you know, if they when they bring out some BEVs, that's that's definitely a possibility. You know, there, there could be some significant market for the battery electric ones in China. Yeah, China, China has a lot of a lot of cities that have a lot of people that aren't the flagship cities that have even more people. So, yeah. I, I think that's and all the automakers are looking there for growth anyway, because that's that's where all the people are, the people with the money. Yeah. Oh, and they, they also talked they had some interesting little details with the uh, about their upcoming battery electric models. Um, they're all going to be three motor all wheel drive systems with torque vectoring. So um, two front motors, one rear motor, um, you know, and then. Uh, they're using um, 800 volt battery technology, uh, which should give significantly more power, um, and will will be interesting. You know, if these things ever crash and you <laughs> have to try to unplug it, does that make smaller um, batteries at 800 volts? Um, no, uh, but what you can do uh, if you have higher voltage, you need less current, um, which means that you can use thinner cables, thinner wiring, and that reduces the weight. Right. So when, when, you know, as, as you increase the voltage um, at the same power levels, you have less current and and that, you know, that reduces both weight and cost because copper is expensive and heavy. Um, and so, you know, the less of that that you can use, the, the better. Right. But like at a certain point too, like Ohm's law isn't magic, like uh, to make the car move. Heresy. <laughs> um, it's all magic. It's like the motors draw the current how do you how do you tell the motor like no no you don't you don't need the current you don't need that much that many amps well if you've got if you've got if you've got enough voltage you don't need as many amps to get the same amount of power i guess that's that's yeah okay because pow- power is equal to voltage times current right it's, so if you increase the voltage you can drop the current and still keep the same power level so smaller wiring lighter motors same performance yep or in this case, it says over 50% more power. So super interesting problems for first responders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but maybe it's like, a, you know, maybe it's like a static shock, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The voltage is like really high, but there's there's no current hey, there. So I've, I've been shocked with 100,000 volts and, yeah, you know, you, like a, a milliamp or two. Did you touch the spark plug on your lawnmower? <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, back when, when I was in college, when I was working in the... Uh, Dino Lab, uh, the GM engine plant in St. Catharines, where I was a co-op student. Um, you know, one of the one of the tests that we would do on the engines as they were running, or you know, um, that we would do periodically is um, you know a misfire check, and you know we'd pull off one of the spark plug wires, and you're supposed to use these special pliers, you know, yeah. non-conductive pliers to do it. And one time, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I, I went and just grabbed the cable, the spark plug wire and pulled it off. <laughs> and this, you know, this is, you know, on a, on an engine with, you know, uh, distributorless ignition and it's about a hundred thousand volts, you know, very low current, but I definitely felt that. Yeah. Those, those bite, I mean, even the HEIs from the eighties, the those, they hurt. 
Uh, oh yeah, it's not, it's not like the uh, it's not like the Magneto in your lawnmower or the you know very low no, potential. Nothing at all like that. Yeah, I I shocked myself a crap load of times on the the um, Volkswagen Squareback, and it like it, it hurt, it stings a little, but yeah, yeah the higher <laughs> modern coils they they do not just sting; they hurt like a bastard. Oh yeah, <laughs> not, not something you want to mess with. Uh, but oh. this is a mere 800 volts, so what could go wrong? Yeah, I right? mean, um, yeah, that's that's true. But it's got a lot of a uh, lot of storage as well, so it's it's not mm-hmm. just like a pulse of 800 volts. It's like lots of 800 volts. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's going to make some really impressive fires, um, and I'm sure that they'll they'll work a bunch of that stuff out. Um, but we hope. Yeah, I mean. It's still it's hey, like gasoline, mean, right? Porsche Porsche is doing 800 volts on the uh, Mission E, so yeah, uh, and and it's a fuel. It, it's 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 um when you get right down to it, like the all the, the batteries are they're fuel, they're just in solid form, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's the same problem with and, with and, like they're, and they're less dense. Yeah, way less, less energy dense. dense. Way way less. Like yeah. That blows my mind. I tried to explain that to my kids. It's like, yeah, so a gallon of gas weighs about six pounds. And um, the equivalent battery weighs a, a lot, a lot more. Like just, about 600 pounds. Yeah, do you think it's like six? Is it, is it that much? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a factor of about 100. Holy crap. I didn't think it was that much um, to, to match a gallon. Uh, of a, fuel. A, a, gallon, a gallon of gas has about 33.7 kilowatt hours of energy in it. Oh yeah, that's and a pretty serious a, a battery. Th- a thirty, a thirty, you know, a thirty-four kilowatt hour battery is going to be about five to six hundred pounds. Damn, we got to work on that. We got to do something. We got to figure that out. Um, I'm, I'm shocked nobody's doing anything with that. I'm kidding. I know they're all trying very hard. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the the advantage of you know electric propulsion is it's a lot more efficient. Yeah, so I mean, a, t- a typical internal combustion engine. A modern ICE, you know, is probably about thirty to thirty-two percent efficient. You know, in terms of extracting, you know, extracting usable energy from the fuel. The rest goes out as you know, waste energy, you know, heat and friction and uh, noise and and everything else. Um, the uh, you know, a, an electric motor is about you know ninety-five percent efficient. I was gonna say, it's, yeah, it's it's almost a hundred percent. Ninety-five. Yeah. yeah. The the, mo- the most uh, efficient engine, you know, ICEs out there now, you know, are Toyota's uh, Atkinson Atkinson cycle engines that are doing just over forty percent, forty percent efficiency, and the Mazda Sky Active X engines should be somewhere well north of you know, so closer to forty-five percent. I think that's really impressive. Yeah. Um, that you can get it that efficient, but yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I'll, I'll be, I'll be really shocked if Maserati and, you know, FCA, uh, tips the balance to really push EV technology. It'll be, you know, it's, it's curious to watch. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, within, you know, within FCA, you know, they're, they're making a big push on electrification across the board. Um, you know, on the, the, the more mainstream stuff, it's going to be a lot of mild hybrids and, and, you know, regular and plug-in hybrids. And then on the premium brands is where you're going to see, you know, the, the high power plug-in hybrids and battery electrics. All right. Well, 
we'll we'll see how much of this plan they stick to. <laughs> yeah, especially once the new uh, the new CEO gets named next year. Yeah, or actually, probably some, some sometime this year, we'll probably find out who it's going to be. Yeah, that's another interesting. The FCA is just always exciting, and sometimes in good ways, sometimes in not so good ways. But it's never a dull moment. Never. No, never. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground um, for a podcast, so we should we should go and uh, hit the hay. So sounds like a plan. Um, all right. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch everybody uh, next time. You can find us on the social medias, and uh, yeah, please uh, you know reach out if you have a question or a concern, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to everybody soon. See ya. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.